friends, I am thrilled to introduce you today to Amanda and her nonprofit Henna Crowns of Courage. At the end of this episode, we're going to discuss a few ways you can get involved. And for those that want to send supplies for these women going through cancer to help us make things like the gift baskets, some items would be like the lotions or the perfumes or cards of support, um, whatever that may be, we will be doing a giving uh, tree event coming up uh, where you can volunteer and help us put the small token of love and support together with us. And that event will be posted on Facebook. But for those who don't live near, who want to, say, mail the supplies in, uh, please just reach out through our Facebook page and we will give you a mailing address to send those along. Um, the one side is knowing that uh, a lot of these uh, women are facing illnesses and sensitivities to a lot of chemicals and everyday products. If you are able to make a preference to more natural-based gifts, uh, we would thoroughly appreciate that. And so I, I, I just hope that you've been enjoying this series on compassion as much as I have. And even though these conversations can sometimes be heavy and difficult, I hope they can serve as reminders that there are amazing people everywhere doing wonderful things to make our community better. And, and my hope is that this series inspires you to visit that friend or make that phone call or reach out to that stranger. So thank you for joining us today. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Thad Talks. Today, I get to introduce you to Amanda Gilbert from uh, Henna Crowns of Courage. And I want to just give Amanda um, just a brief minute to actually explain. She taught me quite a bit about what henna is, where it comes from, historically, culturally. And um, I just want to turn that over to you really quick, and then we're going to dive into the discussion of why henna, why Crowns of Courage, and where did all of this come from? Yeah, thanks, Dad. So I have been doing henna for 10 years. Um, I'll tell you a little bit about what henna is. So henna is made from a plant. The plant's name is Lasonia. It's a flowering plant that grows 8 to 10 feet tall. It's actually the leaf of the plant that stains the skin. So you pick the plant, the leaf and you dry it out in the sun and then you crumble up that leaf into a powdered form and then I get it from a wholesaler because it does not grow in Michigan. It has to grow in like 70 degrees, 80 degrees or higher, very dry temperatures. <laughs> not really what we see here. Um, so I get it from a wholesaler and then I make it at home. I mix it with water, lemon juice. Um, raw cane sugar, and lavender essential oil. Now we use organic USDA gray lavender, um, typically Bulgarian lavender. That is the safest for the skin. There's a couple other essential oils that are safe. I like to stick to lavender, mainly because I think it smells the best and it's the most therapeutic um, essential oil to use on the skin. And then you also talked about... Um... Because because when I think of henna, I always think, um, you, you know, Mideast Asian type culture. Um, mm -hmm. But you gave me a, a history lesson that definitely that definitely took me back. Can you explain just briefly where does henna come from? Yeah. Okay. So it's believed to originate from Egypt. Um, the Egyptians would put the 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 plant like the paste of the plant on their skin. It's kind of like a mud. Um, it will dry and flake off and leave behind a stain. And that's what you use as a tattoo. Um, it would be cooling on the skin. So it was like they didn't have air conditioning back then. <laughs> right? So um, 
they had it on the skin when they were really hot. It's um, it also is like a sunscreen. Um, yeah. So the women is believed that the women didn't really like all these blotches on their skin. So they started using sticks and putting it on their skin in big circles or lines or designs that um, was personal and unique to each person. And so it's believed to start in Egypt uh, when the uh, Jews were there. The Jews took it up and used it a lot in their um, rituals, ceremonies. The Christians started using it. Mohammed started using it in the Muslim um, religion. He used to put it in his beard because it can actually stain your hair. Um, it's also used to stain wood and leather. So henna is used in multiple different forms, um, but we see it more for the skin. It was brought over to India during trade in first uh, performed on the Indian princess who fell in love with it, that she called it Mahindi, which is a Sanskrit word that actually means inner light. So that inner beauty is being immersed out onto her skin. And so she can show like who she really is, is brought, being brought out. That's why it's so popular for bridal um, henna. Um, they would put it all over their arms and their legs. Um, not just to show that they're beautiful, but the fullness of their beauty to their husband. I like this notion because when I think of when I think of makeup, I, I think of in our contemporary culture, it feels like makeup is trying to conceal natural beauty, and you're referencing henna to more bringing inner beauty out to the surface. Oh yes, mm -hmm. I like that that inner identity of who they are, their story. Why do people get tattoos in general is to tell a story. Um, but what's beautiful about henna is that it is temporary and it reminds you that everything in life is temporary and your story is constantly changing. You're evolving as a person, you're growing as a person. And when it starts to fade, it, it reminds you to let go of what you need to let go of and that you're ready to start something new. So, Transitioning now into Henna Crowns of Courage. I met you, was it last year at Art Prize? Yeah. Um, because uh, a dear friend of mine, Lisa, who was on a uh, previous uh, podcast episode who was going through ovarian cancer, was a part of this project with you in which, after she lost her hair while going through uh, chemotherapy, you then tattooed a crown onto her head. And... Uh, it's an amazing story. I want, I want to let you tell it, but just why? Where did this come from? So it really starts from when I started doing henna in 2010. I found the art through working with refugees, and I saw how beautiful the art was. I took a cone home with me. I started applying it on myself. In an hour straight, I, no joke, did not lift my head. It was so <laughs> therapeutic that everything around me disappeared. I'm like, my roommates were coming in and out, and... Um, my breath had slowed down. I was really connecting with myself and my body. I had dealt with anxiety most of my life. And so I always went back to art, but to to use an art form that is a plant that's already grounding, but also smells really good. And I'm applying it to myself and loving myself instead of harming myself or hating myself was huge for me. I remember looking up and everything around me was blurry and I was like oh my goodness like this is so this is so amazing what is this and so I had um kept henna on me 
uh, ever since 2010. I'd keep it in my pocket, wherever I would go, I'd take it out when I needed to reconnect with myself when I had anxiety. But also, it was a tool for me to open up conversation with someone new, maybe a stranger or a close friend. All of a sudden, I started having deeper conversations with them, more personal, meaningful conversations where, you know, you're you don't always hold a stranger's hand for more than five seconds. <laughs> or, so, at <laughs> or at all. Or at all. And that's why when you go to hair salons and you're getting your hair done, how many people open up to a stranger? Uh, probably because they're touching them. They're touching their most vulnerable spots, the crown of their head. And when I'm working with people with henna and I'm holding their hand or a certain part of their body where I'm doing a tattoo on them, all of a sudden, when I slow down to lay it, a thin line with my breath and I slow my breath down and all of a sudden the atmosphere starts to change. That person slows their breath down with my breath and we are breathing the same and I'm touching their hand and there's an energy exchange that happens and I'm free free flowing a design that brings out their identity, who they are. Our conversations get deeper and women start to open up to me. Um, well, through some circumstances in my life, I decided that I needed to make this into a business. And it wasn't just to make money. It was because I really wanted to bless people. I wanted to live my life, the rest of my life, not working for someone else, but doing something for myself that was also healing for me, but off like other people as well. And I really wanted to get into hospitals and give back as much as I could, but it was hard to get into hospitals. So I just opened myself up to the universe, up to God, and asked like for doors to be open for me to bless women, especially because I feel like women say the most harshest things to themselves, mm. like you're not beautiful or you're um you're not thin enough, or you know women need to change their mindsets to start speaking love and positivity over their bodies because their bodies are a temple and that's what I had to remind myself to do every day. So when I'm able to speak that into other women, it's like very therapeutic for myself. Because like, Amanda, you need to speak this to yourself as well. <laughs> yeah. um, well, going talking about henna crowns of courage, it really originates from a door being opened for me to start volunteering at a salon in Comstock Park called Beautiful You, who opened their doors to women who are have been diagnosed with cancer. Um, to come and get free services once a month. And I had asked if I could just you know, take a table and sit and bless these women, whoever wants to get a henna tattoo. And so I did that. I started doing that once a month, and the women would sit down, and I would talk with them, and I'd connect with them, and I would share with them the meaning of what henna really represents, is that inner light, that beauty coming out on the skin. And I'd ask them if, you know, if there was a Bible verse or a word or a mantra that would be encouraging for them for the next two weeks. So every time they looked down at their arm, they'd be like, oh, yeah, I need to remember, you know, to speak love over myself instead of hate, to choose love over fear. And um, that conversation I had with Amanda was so personal. It was meaningful. Now, when they go out in public for the next two or three weeks, it's on their arm. It's a topic of conversation that's other than their cancer. Yes. Every time someone sees them, they're like, oh, my goodness, look how beautiful your henna is. Tell me about it. What does that mean? Um, what kind of flower is that? And it's not about cancer anymore. It's about their identity, who they are, their experience, their beauty is being brought out. And the women would come back month after month 
crying and saying, Amanda, you have no idea. Like that experience of being henna was great. But weeks after, I had such cool experiences, even with strangers. And while I was there, it was when I started doing henna crowns on these beautiful women because a lot of them struggled with um, losing their hair. And that unfortunately happens when you're going through chemotherapy. And um, so I just you know, wanted to really change their mindset about losing hair and be like, hey, how cool would it be to put a crown on your head and make you look like a goddess? And you can be walking around with this art form on you. You don't even have to wear a wig or a scarf. And um, it was it was funny. It was it was fun for them. And when they actually did get crowned and they feel the coolness on their head and their scalp, like they've never had that experience before because they've always had hair. It smells good. Um, but then when they look in the mirror for the first time, you can see it in their eyes. They look like a goddess. They feel like a goddess. When they go out in public for the next two or three weeks, people are in awe of their beauty. It's not about their cancer anymore. Like they can share with them, um, you know, confidently who they are because they're getting affirmation after affirmation. And so, um, yeah, I, I met you at Art Prize, Dad. But it was years before that I really wanted to share this artwork at Art Prize. And um, even if it was just in a small room somewhere sharing a couple stories. And I am just really thankful that more and more people were attracted to this art and these stories and could relate with it on the same level. Well, and it's... I like this notion of you're, you're helping, right? Because there, there's something about cancer that brings people together as a community, even though that's that might be rooted in a place of fear or despair. But the way that you're engaging it as a gift of actually sharing love and compassion is, it's, I mean, it's... it's <laughs> It's pretty awe-inspiring in and of itself because I know from the, the many women that I've known in my life that cancer is one thing, but having to lose your hair can almost like, mm -hmm. and you already mentioned this, right? This reality of, of, of even the societal pressure, the upbringings of, of a woman, how she has to look a certain way and all these sorts of things and all this negative feedback loop that starts putting the pressure and, and then to lose the hair is almost like a part of losing an identity. And, and that's what I've noticed from a, a lot of my friends or family members was one of the hardest parts of going through the process. Oh, and yeah. I, I just think that this, this notion that you're taking one of the worst parts and saying, actually, no, what you see is the worst part I see is actually your greatest opportunity for beauty and yeah. joy and what a <laughs> gift. And I'm just... Well, it gives me goose pimples just to think of. to look forward to, right? Yes. Where before it was Such detriment yes. detrimental. <laughs> and um, for these women to see this opportunity is like, hey, in, in one of the most hardest times in my life, I can still find joy. Well, and you, you, you said there's this reality. And, I, and I, I don't want to pin this down to cancer because um, despair comes at 
every person in, in every shape, shape and form, right? We're, we're all going to face it. And, and when we come up to that bridge, when, when despair hits us at its hardest, you, you, you alluded to this earlier, this notion that, all right, you can either go down this path of fear or you can go down this path of grace and love. Mm-hmm. Can you touch more on that or just how, how you take something when a person is facing those crossroads, how your interaction helps somebody to see the opportunity for grace and love, even amidst something as difficult as cancer. Yeah, that's a deep one. <laughs> um, yeah. So with henna, my, some of my biggest goals is, you know, when you're faced with something this hard, you have two choices in life. And a lot of us have these two choices and everything we do in life is to choose fear or to choose love. And when you're choosing that fearful mindset, when you first get diagnosed and you're like, oh my gosh, like I'm going to die or, you know, I'm going to lose my hair and I'm going to not be able to see my friends or, you know, I don't want them to think I'm complaining and you just, you know, go down, down, down. You're going down this very dark path and you're going to be going down it alone. Mm -hmm. And so you know, nobody wants that. You don't want that. Um, but you also have this choice to choose love and to say, hey, this is a great opportunity for me to start thinking differently about myself, about my body, about my health, about my mindset. Um, and what can I do? And when you get out of that comfort zone of just being like, okay, I need to get help. I need to ask for support and, um, change that mindset and choose, you know, maybe a different lifestyle than what I was living. Um, that's going to open up so many doors for you Yeah. to experience something that you may have never experienced before. Now, some of these women that I have worked with, you'd be so surprised, but a lot of them have told me that it's a bittersweet experience. Yeah, it's very hard, but the sweet part is that they would have never been able to grow the way that they have grown and met the people they have met that have changed their lives to see the world differently, to have different perspectives, um, especially about themselves as well, to choose to love themselves greater because your body is a temple and like I believe it's meant to heal itself. So when you're putting the right things in your body and you're speaking the right things over yourself, that's really where it begins and it begins with your mind. And I, I want to even give just pause to this notion because I remember especially going through my health issues when I was facing my own mortality at a young age, right? If, if somebody said to me that, and so many people actually did say to me that this is actually a gift, which I had choice words in response at the time, but, but what unfolded from that was seeing the world, right? That bittersweetness that you talked about in, in a whole new way that I never would have been able to had I not gone through that. But mm-hmm. the hardest part for me in that was feeling alone mm. and the pain that comes from that isolation. And I think I could probably echo so many of the women whose lives you've touched is just this notion that if you are in that moment where you do feel swallowing, you know, gasping for air when you're drowning in despair, 
to have somebody sit with you to hold your hand to show you that beauty and to remind you that you're not alone and that even in the midst of such pain there can still be such love and joy i think well if there's if there's any other purpose that's greater than that in this life i'm not sure i know of it but but what a blessing it is to have people like you in our community to remind us of that because it's it's so lacking and it's simultaneously so needed. Mm-hmm. And when you're talking about community, that's one of the bigger things that we do as well with Hannah Crowns of Courage is we don't just crown them and say, okay, bye. <laughs> we, we really want to make them part of a family, a community. So every girl that we've crowned over 60 some women, however many we've crowned, we try to stay connected with them. We have an online Facebook group. We have a messaging group where the women get to know each other and they ask questions or say like, hey, has anyone had this medication? How does that make you feel? Like my doctor wants me to take this. Do you guys um, have any opinion? You know, so Mm -hmm. there's a, a group of women that are on your side that are going through the same thing that you can joke with, you can yeah. laugh with, you can cry with, like, who understand, um, what, you're going who understand what you're going through, you know, even like just some of the more humor, you know, moments where a kid stares at you because you're a bald head, <laughs> like, um, you know, the women are able to share these experiences with each other. And then, um, our goal is to have a gathering once a month. We've done several gatherings, um, but to have all the women, whoever can come can come together and like really meet each other in person or um have a good time and we discuss more we'll we'll do henna but we'll we'll have discussions about health and nutrition and different avenues that will open doors for you to experience on your own to help you through your journey um and that's what that's what our goal is with this yeah well and you also talked about the the stories that you get right because because you're 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 not only just creating community you're creating a safe place for somebody to express all the good and the bad the humor the pain right and mm-hmm. and, and, and the experience of what this life is um i i wanted to um ask you to share a little bit about liz's story now liz passed away recently mm-hmm. um but you said she had a pretty unique story and and to just to give us a bit of an understanding for what even you're going through and experiencing with these women. Yeah. So Liz had a pretty rough um, diagnosis, but I want to just say right now through it all, she has been so strong and has been full of light. And if you were to meet her, you would just melt because she just illuminated this love and this light of, um, her faith and who she was and always wanting to give back to others. Um, She had been diagnosed with a rare form of synovial sarcoma in her right foot. And at the time she was 35 weeks pregnant and she wasn't able to do much, you know, with treatment then because she really wanted to save her son. Um, So right after she had uh, Griffin, She had to go right into surgery, and they knew that they couldn't save her leg, so they had to amputate her leg. And, um, you know, being a a new mom and not (laughs) being able to run after her son had been pretty difficult and hard. Um, But she had a 
really great community, a great church around her. And um, the doctors had told her that she only had a few months to live at that point, that she wouldn't be able to see her son's first birthday. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I really hate when doctors think that they're gods and can say that there's a time frame on your life. Um, I don't agree with that at all. I think um, that really can put people in that fear of love base and mindset. And so um, Liz was determined and to choose that love base and be like, no, I'm going to beat this and I'm going to see my son turn one and I'm going to be the best mom I can be. And uh, when I met her, it was already past the time point the doctor said she wouldn't make it. And she had, um, she, when I first saw her, she had, you know, she was very nervous about getting crowned. Um, she hadn't really shared her story much with many people. Um, but during that process of getting her makeup done and getting the henna done on her head, she had really opened up to us and shared um, the depths of her story. And what she wanted on her crown was very personal. We asked if we can um, put uh, something that they identify with, like who they are, like what, what gives you that strive to keep going, that joy to keep going. And she said her mom, her mom had just passed away a year before, um, you know, her own diagnosis. So it had been really difficult, but um, the life of her mom and what her mom like taught her and um, she loved lilies. So we decided to put a really big, beautiful lily on her head. She also said that her faith has kept her strong. And so we put a cross on the front of her head and her son, Griffin. And so we put a Griffin on the back of her head. Mm. And um, we had put lilies all up and down her arm. And um, when she first saw herself in the mirror, she almost started crying. She just felt so beautiful and in a point in her life where she had that beauty stripped away from her. And she had a lot in her shoulders. And so... Um, it was just really fun doing the photo shoot afterwards where she was laughing and she had a smile ear to ear. And um, you can even see in some of these photos. But um, even after that, she has been a huge spokesperson for Hannah Crowns of Courage and so many women that have come after her that um, wanted to step out of their comfort zones and be crowned and share their own personal story. Uh, Liz had come up to our prize several times and we had crowned her even after <laughs> that because um, her hair had come and gone with different treatments. Um, but Liz had made it past to her second son's birth her her son's second birthday. Um, just a few weeks ago he had turned two. And um, Liz had even through all her treatments, she was always giving and wanting to be a part of her church ministries and going out and about and um, had been very involved with connecting with a lot of these women or even um, going with them to appointments. So she's become a good friend and I'm so thankful that I could be there with her through this journey because we are all in our life are going to face death at some point, but we have that choice to choose love or to choose fear. It's pretty happy. <laughs>
So now you're looking to grow this um, to be on just you doing the crowns. I, um, I'm training a lot of girls right now through my business, and they have to be certified to be um, a henna artist because there's a lot of bad henna out there, and I want you know whoever's doing stuff with me to be safe. And um, a lot of these girls decided to learn henna to be able to be part of Crowns of Courage because they wanted to bless these women as well. Some of the women I'm training right now have gone through cancer themselves um, and see the beauty of it. And so during these gatherings, they are practicing their henna and doing henna with these women. Um, as of right now, we're only doing one experience of a henna crown per month until we're able to take on more. Um, but any of the women that can't be crowned that month can definitely be part of our community and come to these gatherings. Uh, my goal is to really make this into a YouTube channel um, to because photos only show so much, yeah. right? But if you can really get the experience with the women through this this journey um, of being crowned and even weeks later hearing their experience and uh, what they're going through in their life. And then um, on the website, there'll be a blog where the women can continue to share their stories and other people that follow them um, can follow what they're going through. So yeah, we're working on that right now. <laughs> I have several videos that we're still like working on to edit and, um, hopefully getting more like financial backing as it's a nonprofit and I'm doing my best I can. So what are, what are some ways that we can support you and where can we find this work? Uh, you can go to henna crowns of courage.org or you can go to our Facebook group, which is henna crowns of courage. Um, and there you can see how you can help and connect. I'm looking for, you know, makeup artists, photographers, videographers, especially, um, <clears throat> who are willing to work with us on a good price because I, I do have some donations coming in. Um, but as you know, videography is like, it can be pretty <laughs> expensive. Um, I do need help with the YouTube channel. I don't know much about how to really create that with like getting followers and stuff. Um, and yeah, just some financial support, um, gifts. We're always looking for gifts. We're doing gift baskets with the women. So, um, anyone that wants to give something, even if it's like hand lotion or, um, tickets to a baseball game, you know, just to bring their kids somewhere because medical bills do spike up and though, you know, they, that should not be the focus. Like they want to focus on their family and still blessing their family and doing what they can do or groceries or gift cards. Um, that would be nice. Well, I think, um, especially for our listeners, I think we'd like to host an event. Um, uh, one, one of these nights, part of our giving tree program to do, uh, to make some gift baskets cool. um, for the ladies. I think that would be fun, but, um, I just want to, from from all of us in our community, say thank you for for what you're doing, um, because I know it's not easy, um, but it's very important work. And um, of course, the goal here, I, I, I think, is to, to to just try and connect people who could help um, support and carry this this work along. But um, 
even on a personal note from um, from even knowing what this impacted um, my friend Lisa, I can say without a doubt that uh, it's, it's not only inspirational to hear about, but it's inspirational to actually see firsthand the impact, like as you said, because it's, it's hard to just see everything through pictures, but to see it firsthand, the impact that this has had in our community. So thank you, and thank you for sharing your story with us. Thanks. Thanks for having me.